back to another episode of the Jam Bass Podcast. I'm Nate Todd, and Jam Bass is a partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. Episode 152 features my interview with singer-songwriter Raylan Baxter, who I spoke to last week. His stellar new album, If I Were a Butterfly, is out now via ATO Records. We'll get to the interview shortly, right after we hear about the sponsor of this episode. This episode is sponsored by Soundscape VR. Groundbreaking virtual reality platform Soundscape VR is enabling a new generation of live concerts, music experiences, and sound visualization. Proving that Soundscape VR is the most immersive, innovative, and creative music metaverse, VR concert performances are now available from jam scene favorites Goose and Pigeons playing ping pong. They join Soundscape VR artists, including improv rockers Umphreys McGee and Dopapod, Guns N' Roses guitar Slash, EDM favorite Grizz, multi-platinum selling rock band Evanescence, and others. Visit soundscapeuniverse.com to learn more. Hey, we're getting close to the end of the year, and if you haven't made New Year's Eve plans yet, be sure to search Jambase to see what concerts are happening near you on December 31st. We also put together a New Year's Eve 2022 concert guide to help you find a show to attend as we ring in 2023. I'll be heading to New York to see Fish at Madison Square Garden with members of Team Jambase, and I can't wait for what's always a fun time at MSG and to ring in the new year. This year was significant for Raylan Baxter, who, as I mentioned, released a new album, If I Were a Butterfly, last month. When I caught up with Raylan, the singer-songwriter was enjoying some time in Key West, Florida, as he had recently participated in the local Coast is Clear Festival. We spoke over a Zoom call while he was at a restaurant on the beach, so there is a bit of background noise. As Raylan was getting ready to return home from Key West, our conversation saw the musician return to his time recording his fourth studio album and first of original material in four years, If I Were a Butterfly. Raylan painted a vivid picture of the unique experience of recording at Thunder Sound an old Kentucky rubber band factory turned recording facility. We also took some deep dives into a few of the album's tracks. Raylan spoke about how a tape of him singing when he was four years old inspired the album title and more. The discussion also touched on Raylan's ace band and production team on the record, as well as some of the guest musicians, including his late father, legendary pedal steel player Bucky Baxter, who played with Bob Dylan, Steve Earle, and many more. Bucky Baxter passed away in May 2020, not long after contributing to the album. Finally, we spoke about how If I Were a Butterfly songs are fitting into Raylan's live sets, as well as future touring plans. We'll lead into the interview with the gorgeous album closer, My Argentina. But I can stare at you all day and sing into your beautiful face I could open up my eyes All I want to see are your eyes So I want it And you got it I feel it kind of more than I wanted to In a band Yeah, I feel it even more when I look at you
I am here with Raylan Baxter. How's it going today, man? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Uh, what, what are you up to today? I'm staring at a drink menu at a restaurant on the beach in Key West, Florida. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I came down here to be a participant and floating artist in the Coast's Clear Festival. Very cool. And, and so and that was on Thursday, that was on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And my girlfriend Sophia and I are still here on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to the airport shortly, but we were supposed to fly home on Monday. Monday came. You know, we made up a little white lie that lost, uh, she lost her license. Then she actually lost her license. So then Tuesday came and we couldn't fly on Tuesday. And so today's Wednesday. We found her license and we're going to the airport after a little meal. Cool. Cool. So you guys got some time down there. Yeah. We've come down here quite a bit. Like I came down here for the BMI, BMI Songwriters Festival, like maybe seven years ago, six years ago. And I met a group of people that are like, that are locals and they're amazing people. And they throw on little concerts in their backyards and the backyard concerts turned into restaurant concerts and the restaurant concerts turned into a pretty awesome festival that was headlined by Shaky Graves this year and the Black Pumas last year. And it's just good old life down here, man. That sounds great, man. Well, you know, you, you mentioned songwriting and I, I know you got a new collection of songs out. Um, if I were a butterfly, um, I, and I wanted Bubba. to talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, you recorded at a place called Thunder Sound, which was, um, located in an old rubber band factory, um, in Kentucky where, where you also pretty much lived. Um, that's a very unique setting and it produced a unique album. Could you, could you maybe paint a, a picture of, of that experience? Yeah, I'll paint it. Um, Empty Canvas begins. Um, January 15th, I move all my things into the studio. January 15th of 2020, I move all my stuff into the studio. And this is a studio that I've been going up to for five years. A friend of mine built it up. and I wrote all the songs from Wide Awake at the studio. And uh, I moved in there on January 15th. We started recording on the 20th. The band came up. Uh, a different floating variation of musicians came in and out over the next two months. And we recorded 30 songs. And the March March 10th was our last day in the studio. And then it took two days for me to pack up. And uh, I drove home on the 13th of March. And that's when the quarantine was set into effect. And I sat on, I sat on the album for, you know, for the next rest of the year. And um, and then I'm in twenty in December of 2020. I moved back up to the studio, and I lived there for a year and a half. I lived there mostly by myself in the studio. At a certain point, I was able to rent one of the sheds on the property and do my best in, on the off days, renovating the shed, turning it into a little apartment for bands. Um, it's a 110 acre property. There's Ricky, the caretaker, who I mentioned in Graffiti Street as Ricky's mowing grass again. Go on, wake up everyone. He was famous for mowing grass at seven in the morning. 
And um, I lived up in this kind of quiet town in Kentucky and had a great time and really explored every bit, every tunnel of my existence. And, and uh, went through the, the, the troubles that all mankind was going through at that time and mixed that in with my dad passing out of nowhere. And plus the studio owner, Billy, and his one of his best friends, Tiger, uh, built up that studio. And then they both passed away in 2018. So there's lots of spirits going on. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to the birds. I'm just, it's it's a, a special place that I had, luckily, to myself for a whole year for very little money. And that's what the Swayze family, Billy's parents are the Swayze's. Um, they wanted that place to be a, um, a haven for artists that are, you know, creative through po- poverty almost, you know. And so uh, I lived up there and I learned how to use Pro Tools, Thunder John, Constable, helped me. Um, and I just had a great time. Like I had a challenging time. And I think I was I was productive as hell. I pushed the limits physically and mentally. And my heart was broken halfway through it, you know. So uh, I learned how to mend it and turn that into a positive experience. And then, you know, for me, I have all the memories of that album. And for y'all, you have the album and the songs. And so now it's out of my hands and I shall represent it appropriately to the, uh, the end of time. Wow. How's that? Wow. That's, that's great, man. Great feigning. <laughs> um, you know, and oh, yeah. I, I really, um, you know, a lot of things sort of struck me about the record. Like I said, it's a very unique sound. Um, and, you know, you, you sort of use a lot of... Um, you know, I think the the opening track, the title track, "If I Were a Butterfly," uh, you know, uh, sort of, you know, s- sets the table for uh, s- starts to paint the picture, to use our metaphor. Um, you know, and I I think you use a lot of effects, sort of panning, reverb, echo, um, to sort of achieve I what to me sounded like sort of like thoughts or like a dream. You know, um, could you, could you talk a little bit about how you sort of conceived and achieved that sound? Um, yeah, I can talk about how I conceived and achieved that sound. I like how you put it. Um, I started, well, let's see, I have no time limit. Um, originally, before COVID, you know, I was going to be done with the record in March, the end of March of 2020, but that didn't happen. I had no time limit and no pressure from ATO, the record label. And I was really gracious and grateful for that. I just got to work. I got to make 20 different versions of every song. I sang four different choruses for Rubber Band Man until in the 25th hour, I figured out that what that chorus is, or at least what it is now. I'm sure I could have found another 50 choruses to sing. I had time to experiment and paint and erase and paint and erase and paint and erase. And I was also learning how to paint the entire time. Um, It was like all the little sounds that happen in the record and the kids and me as a four-year-old singing and it all kind of did the work for itself. I realized when I was forcing the issue that things weren't happening 
and when I stopped forcing the issue, things started to happen. It's, it's, it's hard not to force. It's hard for me not to put my will into into the music, like to will it to creation and to watch it like a leaf in the wind almost, you know, or how, how a butterfly actually flies through the air. It's kind of sporadic and it's halfway out of their control. And then sometimes the butterfly will drop its wing and fall um, and then lift the wings again. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's the first song, the first record I got to produce by myself. I mean, for myself, of course, with Kai Welch and Tim O'Sullivan, and really the whole band produced the record. You know, I spent a year by myself doing what I had to do to get it to where I thought it was a you know, place to listen to and put out. Um, but I just, I don't know, I was experimenting the entire time. And I was, I got to be me. I didn't have a time limit. And I think the time, not having a time limit and not having a, um, an expensive studio to pay every day was really beneficial. And I feel like so many people, myself included in the past, have not been given the proper amount of time to express themselves. And I was, and I think I did. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that, man. I think, you know, um, having sort of as much time as you need is very a great thing to have and and i mean it shows on this record um you mentioned sort of you you have that um you know recording of you singing um the song the if i were a butterfly i think uh, the children's song when you were when you were four years old how, how did you come across that recording my mom has it on tape cassette okay and she, she because in the 80s you know we didn't have video cameras, although they were available. But, um, you know, we were, my mom and dad were both working and we're not buying video cameras. So we got tape cassettes and we, we got a few of them. And that was one that she gave me that I kept in a box. And I knew there was some good stuff on it, but I had never listened to it until I got into the studio. And we, record, we put it into a tape player and bounced it into Pro Tools. And I was able to use it on various songs, some songs that never came out on this record, but that will in the future, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's cool because when that tape, it's me singing, it's my sister singing, um, it's my mom in the background, and it's my dad talking to his mother in the background, all of which you cannot hear clearly on the record, but the tape itself, um, is all there's all kinds of stuff that's saved. I can hear my dad's voice as like a 38 year old dude. Um, I'm 39 now, so that was cool. So yeah, it, 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 the record was was titled after that. So after I listened to that and thought about it, I was like, oh well, what a nice title for a record. I I, I remember doing stuff with my brother and my sister like that. Like we had a little, you know, it was one of those little like. I can't remember who made it, but you know, it had a little microphone. You could put a tape in and record. So I, I can totally dig yeah. that, man. Like the thing that, that Macaulay Culkin used in Home Alone. Yeah. It's like Fisher Price or something like, that. you know, one of those toy, old toy companies. Yeah. yeah that's cool, man. Yeah. 
You know, I, let's kind of talk about some of the, you know, the tracks on the album. Um, I think the one after that is uh, Billy Goat, which sort of struck me as kind of a breakup song. Um, wh- why Billy Goat? Uh, Billy, Billy Goats, they buck each other in the head and they walk away from it. Very cool. Very cool. Enough. Yeah, that makes sense, man. Totally. Um, and and then you know another one was um tadpole. I think um, just sort of you know a beautiful and, and sad song at the same time. Um, can you talk about that song a little bit? Yeah, tadpole is when I grew up in Old Hickory, Tennessee. Um, I would we we grew up on on Cleve Street. The Cleve Street T boned up against the parking lot of the library that was shared with the Old Hickory Church of Christ. Um, me and my buddy Chase would bike around all day, run around all day, and we eventually found the, the drainage, um, the drainage runoff creek that was a channel of water that came out from the parking lot on the back side of the library, and it was it was it was fed by a huge concrete tube that you could walk into. And so Chase and I would walk into the tube and go about a hundred feet up there and under the parking lot of the Church of Christ. Um, and so I call it tadpole because we were little tadpoles in the water. We were picking up crawfish. We were picking up little bullfrogs. I got bacterial pneumonia from walking around in this creek bed. Um, uh, it was the time when my mom was going to school during the day for nursing and working in the hospital at night. So we had a babysitter. It was a little hectic. My neighbor across the street from us um, shot herself in the middle of a Sunday uh, when my mom was at the grocery store. Um, a lot's happened on this street. It's still the same street, too. I go back, and I, I go back once a year at least, and, um, Riverside Drive is like a beautiful place and it's, it's just it's like a nostalgic look back and Kai Welch is playing piano on that song and I have once again I had a bunch of lyrics and he came over one day and we just started playing around I think we wrote five songs that day and we recorded that one 50 times uh, I sat right next to him at the piano singing to a 58 SM58 he played great and then we were done with it Wow. That's, that's, that's really, yeah. I think, you know, you did a great job of sort of capturing those, you know, sort of ethereal sort of memories and just how memories aren't, you know, can be kind of different and your brain sort of changes them. I thought that that song, that song did a great job of, of conveying that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and so moving on though, um, could you could you tell me tell me about the thread that runs through Dirty Knees and My Argentina? All right, good call. I like that. Dirty Knees was a completely improvised song. Like the band started playing, we were we were going to do a full band version of My Argentina that day, and 
so I had all these lyrics on pages, papers, and drummer and bass player started playing. Barney starts playing guitar. Kai's out there with the trumpet. I'm on the piano for a little bit, and there's a microphone, so I just start ripping, and that's what happened. And then in the pages of lyrics that were in front of me, part of it was my Argentina, and so I started singing lyrics from my Argentina started singing lyrics that were made up, started singing lyrics that were already on the piece of paper. And that's just a jam. That jam went on for like four four more minutes after the record version. Like a lot of these songs, Billy Goat is a nine minute song. We just cut all of them in half to fit it on a normal record. Yeah, and I had already recorded my Argentina on a piano the night before by myself. Yeah. Gotcha. The one that you hear on the record. And so, at the time, I didn't know if we were going to be doing a full band version of that song or just a solo version. So, um, but yeah, my, uh, "Dirty Knees" is a funny, funny song because it just—I actually nobody remembered us doing that. And when I was in the studio for the year by myself, I found it on the hard drive, as saved as my Argentina full band. Because, oh, let me listen to this, and it was. I was by myself. I remember I was just filming the, the screen with my camera, filming the speakers and sending it to the guys playing. I was like, do you guys remember doing this? Most of them said yes. So I was, I guess I was the only one that didn't remember. I can stare at you all day singing to your beautiful face. I want to open up my mind and see you there just walking around with me. You want to hold my hand, that's fine. Make your little Argentina tea. Daddy needs a heart, just a beautiful instrument. Yeah, the heart, the heart. A beautiful instrument. My heart is a beautiful instrument. Get me out of the way of thinking Caught on fire, now I'm sinking No, I recorded the, the record version of My Argentina that you hear I recorded by myself at 5 in the morning In the studio I recorded that song 120 times one night And that's the last take that I did I finally got it right um, the next day, the band shows up because we were planning on doing a full version to see if we could make it like this epic bout, this epic thing. It didn't work out. However, our sound check jam is Dirty Knees. I see. Okay. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, great musicians on the record. Great musicians. Right. Our yeah. Our band leader right now. These are all guys I play with, touring with. Cool. Um, yeah. owns a juice shop in Nashville. Uh, Barney Cortez, a songwriter from Philadelphia, who's a guitar player. Kyle Davis, a badass. Everybody. Awesome. Yeah, you have, and then you have a lot of sort of guests. Um, uh, you know, have some guest collaborations on the uh, um album. Um, outside outside of the band, right? Like, uh, like I read the um uh, Bobby Jean Hall. Was on the record, correct? Yeah, yeah, she was on Wide Awake as well. I met her through 
the, the piano player, Aaron Embry, who's also on this record, who played a lot on the Wide Awake record. Um, yeah, Miss Bobby, when I when I drove to LA in August of 2020, on my way out of California, I went up to Apple Valley, and Tim O'Sullivan and I recorded by percussion with Bobby Hall at her ranch house way up in Apple Valley. It was amazing. She's a really spiritual lady, and she just about is smitten for me, and I'm smitten for her. And we have okay. a good old time. I slept in a driveway in my van. It was fantastic. Great, man. That's great. Were there any other just sort of memorable collaborations um, that, that really kind of stuck out to you? Yeah, let's see. Um, the first one that comes to mind, I'll save until the end. Let's see. Uh, Harrison Whitford played some really special guitar on the record out when I was out in L.A. He plays with Phoebe Bridgers. But he's a great songwriter and guitar player, like very, very unique. Um, um, let's see. Barney Cortez, who's in our band, is like hopefully not overlooked because the guy has been one of the best guitar players alive as a young, under 40 dude. Um, Fred Eltringham is on the record. Dan Fred Eltringham has been Cheryl Crow's longtime drummer. Daniel Titchener from Cage the Elephants playing on a song or two. Um, but mostly it was like, it was the guys in my band. And then I got to bear witness to a beautiful discovery, which is my girlfriend, Sophia Rose, who is kind of on the up and up as a singer and writer and songwriter. And she's super talented. And she spent the whole time I was mixing the record with Ryan Hadlock um, up in Seattle. And then like the last few days, I, was, I said, you want to sing? And we had hadn't been talking about it. And, he sings really beautifully, and um, it was cool to, to to have that memory with her. Um, and let's see, I think that is it. Really, everybody brought their their best best uh, gusto into the studio. Whoever it was. Right on, right on. That's great. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, you you did you mentioned your dad, um, Bucky Baxter, who, um, you know, is a, a legendary uh pedal steel player and musician. Uh, played with Bob Dylan and Steve Earle and um all kinds of people. And um, you know, you, you did mention that he passed away. Um, but but he does. Uh, there are. Uh, he's on the album, right? He plays on the album. Yeah, he's of the thirty songs. He played on five songs one of which made the record to this grouping and that's graffiti street okay. and it's just the little in the chorus is the that's my dad Bucky. now his okay. his really star shining moments are on a song called modern man which is not on this record but you'll hear it he played uh some jerry garcia teach teacher children pedal steel you know what I mean by that? But yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's definitely. Still nice and young song. Yeah, and and he's yeah he he's like, I mean he's all over the record in terms of what parts made it on the record from other players. Uh, he just taught me how to listen to everything. And, did, did you? Um, yeah. Did you kind of know that these might be some of your your last sort of collaborations with your dad? Not at all. I had no idea. 
No surprise, you're finally alive. No surprise, no surprise. Like, um, you know, after he had passed and, and listening to the album, I'm, I'm sure it was sort of joyous and, and sad and, and sort of a bittersweet thing to have to sort of go back through and, and hear those. But um, could you talk a little bit about just how, how you felt, how that made you feel? Well, ultimately, I feel super blessed and lucky to have him as a father. Like, I ended up finding my, my place in life, which is as a musician and a singer and a writer. And I had a dad that was behind Bob Dylan and Ryan Adams and, and uh, Steve Earle and the Beastie Boys and Los Lobos and R.E.M. And I mean, the guy played on stage with a Pope, you know. Um, he knows how to play behind people and he knows how to play to support a song. And so I was, I'm like really grateful. She played with me for the first three years of my career, every show in Nashville and some outside of Nashville. But and he taught me how to play music. He taught me how to listen to music. And he didn't teach me every chord in the book, but he taught me how to listen and play in a band and lead a band. And he's like, the number one contributor to how I do anything, honestly. Uh, and so I have that with, with, he's with me in that regard forever. I mean, he's with me in every regard forever. Um, he didn't go away when he left earth. He, he, he became, we, we, we joined back into each other. I think, you know, I, I know this for a fact, the things that I was interested in the day before he passed versus the things that I became interested the day after he passed are a sure sign and, and, and like proof that, okay, well, he definitely left some of his passions with me outside of music. And, um, and you know, that's how we connect. There's so many ways to connect to the, to the fallen ones or the risen ones. Yeah, that's 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 a really great outlook, man. I I dig that. I dig that, and um, you know, it's it's awesome that you you were able to share that with your dad, and you know, and, and his influence on you. It's really cool, man. Um, you know, but you and you and you talked about him playing with you and being on the road and stuff. Um, you know, I know that you uh, you had some gigs in November. Um, you had a little tour, correct? Yeah, we had about seven or eight shows in November. Okay. Um. Were were you playing any of these songs? Oh yeah, 
Okay. Um, I, I was just curious. Butterfly, uh, Butterfly, Billy Goat, Graffiti Street, Rubber Band Man, Tadpole, My Argentina. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what, what, uh, how have they been sort of translating in, in a live setting? Oh yeah. Buckwheat. Um, incredibly well, incredibly well. I'm, um, I'm a different kind of performer for this record. I'm not always holding the guitar. I got a good band that I can trust. And, um, I really like playing these songs. I ain't going to lie about it. It's pretty powerful. For sure, and and um, what what has sort of the reception from from the audience been like? Have you have you been getting a a, a good reception from them? No, they they blew us off the stage every night. Right? <laughs> no, they're there. They're there. We're, they're there to hear the good stuff, and we're giving it to them. Well, that's great, Raylan, man, and uh, you know, I I, I think that about um, that's sums it up for me and uh, it was great talk with you man i i really appreciate uh you taking the time today to talk with me the album's great and uh like you said you're gonna be out on the Thank road you. um um you know doing your thing like you said so really appreciate it man thank you yeah we're going back out on tour in the end of march for years we're just taking the winter to recollect and see how things happen with the album but we'll be back out there everywhere and anywhere in the end of march well, great, man. Uh, I'd love to maybe catch you out there sometime. Yeah, well, I'll see you out there, man. Sounds good, Ren. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. the end of this episode of the Jam Bass Podcast. Thanks to everyone out there for listening. Thanks to Raylan for taking the time to talk with us. Be sure to check out his amazing new album, If I Were a Butterfly, which is out now wherever you get your music. Thanks to our sponsor, Soundscape. Thanks also to Jake Alexander for helping produce this episode. We'll be back soon with another Jam Bass Podcast episode. Take care of each other and go see live music. <laughs>